0: Thank you, Ben. As I was preparing this message today or the passage of Scripture that we'll work through, the Lord put it on my heart uh, and it 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 is a weighty one. I did not want to preach a message at you or share from a distance, but I wanted to be with you and walk through it and be alongside of you and amongst you as we... As I am able to teach, or we work through uh, Romans thirteen one through seven today. Romans thirteen one through seven. Let us pray and ask God for His blessing. O oh Lord, your your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We are about to study it, and it is it is your words and Christ. I am so encouraged by you and your example as you walked among us. Um, you are you are perfect in all things that you said and did. And God, I just pray for humble hearts before you now, humble to receive your word, which we know can save. And that if there is any sin in our lives, that we would repent that to you any areas where we can grow and where we can be also known as Your children and lights in this dark world. Thank You so much. Christ, in Your name we pray. Amen. The title of today's message is a wordplay from the holiday that we are Americans have already started to celebrate, I know at least in Pickerington, last night. And it's uh, the July 4th weekend. And our national uh, motto, the United States motto is In God We Trust. And we'll hear that a lot over the next few days. So I wanted to uh, couple together uh, an absolute passage. The Lord convicted me and I had reached out to uh, Mike and Jim. But I wanted to title it, In God Do You Trust? And that's a question that each of us should ask ourselves now and that we'll ask as we work through this passage. And you can say to yourself, and God do I trust. And we're going to see Scripture in a moment that will really be that double-edged sword that is spoken in Hebrews. Uh, very, very briefly, the book of Romans, uh, I did uh, just a little research on it, uh, was written by the Holy Spirit Through Paul in approximately 57 or 58 AD. Uh, Paul had written it from Corinth and sent it to the church, and up until that time he had never met any of those people. Um, If you'll uh, do some very quick math, that was approximately 25 years after the Lord had ascended into heaven. His church was very, very new, a quarter of a century old, and it was growing. And it had a location in one at the time the most powerful city in the world and probably one of the most powerful cities the world has ever known. And that was Rome. It was before the persecution had begun, which was about six years later. And Paul was addressing many things of the faith and started off, and we all are very familiar with Romans, but the wrath of God, faith, that comes so many things with the law salvation and then today we will be studying about submitting to authorities in this past day uh, we will be in Romans 1 through 13 1 through 7 it's broken down into three parts and there is a command and Paul immediately opens with a command that is based off of the principle of authority God's authority then, in verses two through four, he shows a model for authoritieship, for leadership, for those in authority, and also as we can learn from, uh, what we can expect from those who are in authority. And then, finally, the duty, the, the what is owed from those who are subjected to authority. There are several terms that we should be very familiar with as we begin to study this. And the first is authority in itself. And as Noah Webster talks about authority, it's the legal power or the right to command or to act. The power derived from something. Testimony or witness. You know, Jesus often said He did not speak on His own, but that which was given to Him from God. So we will study about authority and what authority is. We will also study and understand what it means to be subjected or in subjection. And that is not a popular term. And it literally used as a verb to be in subjection. It means to bring under the power or dominion of. To put under or within the power of. And we will see that we have been placed, every one of us, under the power of governed authorities that were designed by God. Also, duty. I. That word is very near and dear to my heart, but it is that which is due from one person to another. That which anyone is obliged to do or to suffer to another. In a legal term, it means to recover a... And God's Word, as we'll read in a minute, says that we, we have a debt. There is something that we owe to the governing authorities that He has placed in our lives. And then another word that I'm very fond of that's used in the New Testament a lot, and it's therefore. And it is, it is a simple that's used. It's a conjunctive term. And it's for this reason or for that. Consequently. And we'll see that Paul, through just a few short verses, he reasons through under the Holy Spirit's influence, that based off of one commandment that he was given, that he shares with us, therefore, how we are to live accordingly. Very, very practical portion of Scripture that we get to study today. And as we near the end, very pointed as well, very measurable and If I had a tape measure in front or a ruler or a yardstick, uh, you will see in a moment how quickly we can measure and we are measured against God's word in a specific area. So let us begin Romans 13, 1 through 7. Again, the principle of authority. Here we have the command from Paul. 13.1 Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Be in subjection too. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. What a powerful, powerful verse. To explain this authority more and that we can fully understand it, I, in all things, strive to seek and elevate Christ first and foremost. In John 19, 1 through 11, John 19, 1 through 11, Jesus Christ Himself talks about that authority. Listen very, very closely. Jesus. Is spoken of here. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged Him. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, was flogged by authority that had been placed over Him. And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on His head and arrayed Him in a purple robe. They came up to Him saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And struck Him with their hands. They were mocking Him and beating Him. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing Him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in Him. So Jesus came out wearing a crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man! When the chief priests and the officers saw Him, they cried out, Crucify Him! Crucify Him! Pilate said to them, you not know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him my brothers and sisters, that authority that we are to be subjected to, Jesus Christ Himself was subjected to. To the extent that He was falsely accused, He was arrested, He was beaten, He was mocked, He was spit upon, He was Paraded around to be made fun of. And then He was crucified. And we think of the authority and the authorities that are around us. And He submitted His soul to God and subjected Himself to those authority figures. He is our King. Next, in verse 2, we have the model. So Paul then, from the command that was given based off of the authority, the principle of authority, Paul then begins to reason with us in how we are to live. And he says, "Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. and those who resist will incur judgment. Jesus Christ was a faithful Son, a faithful servant to the Father in submitting to the authority figures placed in His life. And Paul says, and those who resist will incur judgment. I looked into this word and it is a, it's, a, of a, it's a legal term or of a legal nature. And what it means is that when we do wrong, there is a judgment that is written against us. When we resist... It may be punished now or it may be punished later. But there is a judgment that is written against us. And in 3 and 4, the Lord has allowed me to read on these passages for quite a while. And I find them very, very encouraging. I find them strengthening. And what I want to do is look today as we work through 3 and 4, there's a, there's a duality that we can look at with these. And I'll explain more in a minute. But we, and those who are in authority above us, we know what to expect from them. But also, those of us who are in a position of authority, we know what is expected from us. And this is according to God's Word. And let me explain. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the One who is in authority? I was thinking about oftentimes when we're driving and how many times everyone here has had a police officer pull up behind you. And your heart will start to, am I going to get pulled over? Is something going to happen? But think about God's Word here. If my license is current, if I have insurance, if I have, hopefully none of us have no warrants against us for our arrest, if the tags on our car are current, if we weren't speeding, and our car is in good repair, we're doing what's right, just what is expected of us to be good stewards to drive on the road. Should we have any fear? None whatsoever. None whatsoever. Then do what is good, and you will receive His approval. This is such a powerful, powerful, powerful portion of Scripture. Then do what is good, and you will receive His approval. God's Word is saying that we are to expect from those who are in authority above us, and when we are in authority over others, when someone does what is right, we give them our approval. That is all that is needed. We have parents in here. We have business owners. I have many employees myself. We have leaders in our church. God has given us seven men in this church that are caretakers, that are authority figures in each of our lives here. And we have two pastors, we have an overseer, and we have four elders who are in authority positions over us here in the church and in our lives. When someone does what is right, give them your approval. Good job. Thank you. I appreciate it. You were walking according to God's word. That is all that God requires of those in authority. To go out of your way and give them your approval. Think of I think of parental relationships and the damage that can be done and especially in a parental relationship. If I was only ever hard on my own kids and I never told them that they did a good job, Good job. Thank you. I appreciate it. You've done well. Thank you for honoring your mother when I wasn't around. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. You see the justice of God being played out here within the position of authority. For when there is good, it must be approved of. When there is bad, it must be dealt with. And how twisted things get in our world, and I thought of this, how often the bad is left to run and never even dealt with, and the good is never even mentioned. You know, what if we had governors and authorities and and leaders who went out of their way to say the good that they saw as an encouragement to all of us. And that it's recognized. You know, we are all people. And we weary and we tired. Doesn't it feel good when someone says to you, good job, thank you, I was watching you and what you did. And I also know it's very, very good I have a very strong personality by nature and to know that I should be afraid if I do wrong. And I have seen the Lord discipline me many times in my life. Parents, you love your children, please approve of them when necessary, and discipline them when they are. discipline them when it is necessary. And that is a balance of justice from God. Thirdly, in verse five, the duty that we have towards authority. Jesus spoke in Luke 17, and I'm going to turn there briefly. Luke 17, 7-10. through And this passage of Scripture is very near and dear to my heart. Uh, the Lord saved me when I was 12 years old. And then at about 15, He allowed me to start reading His Word. And I remember where I was at when I had read this passage in this parable. And it he used it to have a lifelong impact on me the the iron was very soft at the time and he made a he made a dent on me but think of the, the 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 obligation of duty and i will read this to you will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field come at once and recline at the table will he not rather say to him prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink. And afterward, you will eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. So we are going to read now what God's Word says our duty is to our authority figures. Verse 5, Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. I find this to be... I've shared this before. I, I struggle deeply as I read God's Word because when something is very pronounced to me, all of this is God's Word. every From the beginning to the end. And when He uses a portion of it that is in more of a way affecting me at the present time, I seem to place a higher emphasis on it than others. And it is all His Word. But think about what he's saying here. Therefore, one must be in subjection. One must be submitted to. And then what he does is he balances out in Aaron's very immature mind two of the most unlikely things that I would ever think to put together. He balances out and He puts on one side God's wrath. We must be in subjection to avoid God's wrath not only, but also for the sake of conscience. Literally, the Holy Spirit is putting on an even playing field the wrath of God and our consciences. So I said, what, what is this conscience that He is speaking of? I'm going to read uh, the New Testament was written in Greek, and anytime it's translated into English, there are no perfect English translation, translations. I'm going to read from the New King James Version where uh, the ESV had decided for some reason not to use that word conscience in a passage out of John. And the New King James Version says it, says it very well. But listen to the conscience that Jesus speaks of, that Paul was speaking of. John 8, 1 through 11. John 8, 1 through 11. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him that they might have something to which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued to ask him, asking him, he raised himself up to them raised up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last. And Jesus was left alone in the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised Himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And he said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Each being convicted by their conscience. That part of us that God has given that discerns between right and wrong, between guilty and innocent. So what Paul is saying here is that therefore one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but for the sake of conscience. God's wrath equally with that part of us that He put in, and every one of us knows it, that when you are tempted to do something wrong, you hear that voice. And every time you say no and you don't listen to it, you sear your conscience and you harden your heart. Six. And now, the pointed part. The duties. The practical duties at which we owe. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are the ministers of God attending to this very thing. Mark 12. 13-17. Mark 12. 13-17. And they sent to Him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap Him in His talk. They came and said to Him, Teacher, we know that You are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for You are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Then Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. My brothers and sisters, have you ever thought about what the Lord was actually saying here? Jesus Christ was saying, pay your taxes to the ones who will persecute you. Pay your taxes to the ones that will imprison you. Pay your taxes to the ones that may put you to death. He was saying that to the very government that we just read about a minute ago that had Him beaten, flogged, mocked, and crucified. And that's what God's Word is telling us to do. Pay your taxes to the governing authorities that the Lord places in your life. And Paul says through the Spirit, pay to all what is owed them. And there's four very distinct things here. First, he says taxes. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. It's a tribute as described in Greek. It's an annual tax levied upon household lands or persons, it sounds like a personal property tax. Uh, I have um, only conjecture with this, but there could have been a temptation for them to perhaps uh, falsely state what possessions were theirs. He says, Revenue to whom revenue is owned. It was another tax. It, was, it seemed to be a toll on customs or goods. Perhaps like a sales tax. Next. Respect to whom respect is owed. In this room, there are even varying and multiple levels of authority figures in this room. We have governmental employees, we have employers, we have parents, and we have leaders within this church. Reverence, it's like a fear for those who are in a position of authority. And if anyone is more real or any one situation, children, honor your parents. For this is pleasing to the Lord. And finally, honor to whom honor is owed. And it's a, it, it, it's a term that is, is a rank. It's, a, it's when someone is of a higher rank. If we were in the military or, uh, and what comes to light very quickly We have leadership. We have authority figures in this church. And men and women, we should not fear those who are in authority figures, but pray for them. For to whom much is given, much is expected. And God will judge more harshly those who have more and who are in positions. So now, the very... Tough point I would like to bring up. I had mentioned this to Pastor Mike on Tuesday as he and I were talking. I brought an example of something and I want to show each of you a document. Um, This is the IRS 1040 form. We all are very familiar with what this is. Does anyone know in section 1 subset H what that title is? It is other earned income. I am not the judge or man judge of any man or woman. But I ask each of you today, have you ever claimed anything on other income? I was blessed beyond my awareness when I was younger. One of the most godly men that I've ever met in my life was a Mennonite brother of ours. and His name was David Whitmer. Truly, God smiled on this man's life. I was able to work for him. And one time as I was with him, I remember exactly where we were standing. I was young in my early teen years. And he looked right at me and he said, Aaron, I want to tell you, there is not one bale of hay or straw that I sell from my barns that I do not claim on my income taxes. And that stood with me to this day. And as I file my own income taxes, and as I am in business, and as I tithe and give to the Lord, I am encouraged by the story of Zacchaeus in Luke 19. Jesus is talking and I've often used Zacchaeus as an example for others' sin. I've referenced Zacchaeus many times. And you can see a repentant heart. And listen to what Zacchaeus says here. And he entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled, he has gone into to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came in to seek and save the lost. We have each sinned in our lives and the Lord expects us to make those sins right. I will not take the time now to read it but the rich young ruler is just a page before that. And he was one who boasted of his own righteousness to Christ. And the Lord very, very quickly was able to call out at least two idols that he had had in his life in his own self-righteousness and his money that he was not willing to give up and follow Christ. As we work through Romans... 13, 1-7, it is very, very fitting as we are talking about Paul's owed to others. If we look at 8, 9, and 10, Paul under the Holy Spirit's influence said, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves one another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, or any other commandment, are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is a fulfilling of the law. So I ask each of you today, in God do you trust? And we are to submit ourselves to the authority figures that He has placed in our lives. where we are to pay taxes to the worldly governing authorities and revenue. And we are to pay honor and respect to other authority figures that He has placed in our lives. And I think no better way to finish this message and talking about authority than what Jesus Christ said Himself in Matthew 28. 16-20. through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Go therefore and make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen.